0: Before we get into that passage for tonight, I want to set some things up for you for a little bit. Jesus has been crucified. He has resurrected. He has appeared two separate times to his disciples specifically. As we enter into the beginning of John chapter 21, Peter has decided to go fishing. And some of the other disciples have decided that they would tag along and go with him. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. And when dawn breaks, there's a man standing on the shore and he calls out to them and he asks them if they caught anything. Now, they don't realize at this point in time that it's Jesus who's calling out to them, asking if they have caught anything. So they respond with a defeated no. The most humbling thing a fisherman can do after being asked after fishing all day if he's caught anything is have to say no. I haven't done any good whatsoever. And so they tell Jesus... No, we haven't done any good. And Jesus responds, he says, I'll tell you what, throw your nets out again on the other side of the boat. And they do as he says, and the nets fill up, and it's at this moment that they realize this Jesus that we're talking to. And Peter, so full of excitement, jumps out of the boat and swims to the bank, while the rest of the disciples are left with the task of paddling the boat back to the shore and dragging the net full of fish With them. And in John chapter 21, starting in verse 9, this is where we pick up on the narrative. And God's word says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, I want to make sure that everybody in this place tonight gets the title of our message. So look at someone beside you and tell them, let's grab breakfast. Look at somebody, tell them, let's grab breakfast sometimes. I'm trying to help some of you guys in here, maybe hopefully get a date. You know, So hopefully you turn to one of the ladies and say, let's grab breakfast sometime. And if somebody said, let's grab breakfast, hold them to it. Like, let's go to breakfast this week. Let's grab breakfast. Breakfast. How many of you know some of the best conversation happens around food? Most of the times, we don't ask people to go get something to eat for the sake of eating. We ask them to go get something to eat for the sake of talking. I would like to take a poll just to find out how many times when we ask somebody to go get something to eat, were we actually hungry at the time in which we ask them to go get something? Every now and then. Most of the time, we go for the sake of... Conversation. Some of the greatest miracles and ministry work that Jesus did was around food. This breakfast in particular is going to include a conversation between Jesus and Peter. But before we eavesdrop in on that conversation, you need to know what has previously happened between the two of them. Prior to this point, Peter's last interaction was him vehemently denying any association with Jesus. Whatsoever Three times he denies knowing Jesus as they're leading him away to crucifixion and his death. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes to his death hearing Peter deny him three different times. And for Peter, there's no opportunity for apologies. Jesus dies. He's gone for three days in the tomb. And all the while, Peter is reflecting on what he's done. Jesus resurrects and he makes two appearances to his disciples, but he never speaks to Peter directly. Now the implications of what Peter did, I think, begin to set in on his mind. And I want to show you three things at the forefront as we get started tonight that began to set in for Peter as a stark realization of the implications of what he had just done when it came to denying Jesus. The first of which is the thought that he's probably ruined their relationship. To deny Christ in Peter's mind probably translated into a ruined relationship with Christ now at this point. I mean, how could it not be? And to make matters even worse, now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead, what you may not realize is that in one of the instances when he appears to the disciples, Thomas had doubted that Jesus truly was alive. He says, unless I see the holes, unless I see the scars, I'm not going to believe this. And that sounds almost as bad to me as someone denying Christ as it is. But Thomas says, I'm not gonna, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe that this is a real thing. Jesus shows up in the upper room, pulls Thomas off to the side, and says, Thomas, look, feel my side, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's me. So Jesus individually takes Thomas off to the side, and helps him through his issues, and after he does that, boom, he disappears again. Here's Peter off in the corner thinking, okay, this ain't good. (laughs) Jesus is pulling people off individually and not having conversations with them about the things they got going on in their life, but he hasn't pulled me off to the side and told me it was okay that I denied him. So he's thinking at this point their relationship is probably ruined. On top of that, he's probably thinking that he's ruined his calling. When Peter was with Jesus on the earth, there was a time when he actually was the first one to confess Christ. Jesus was traveling from town to town. There was a lot of speculation about who he was and where he came from. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And and Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, bless you, Peter. For flesh and blood didn't make this known to you, but my father in heaven made this. And I tell you that upon this rock I will build my church. And so he lays out this amazing calling for Peter's life of how he's gonna be instrumental in establishing the church. Well, Peter's probably thinking, there Ain't no way that's gonna happen now. I can't be instrumental in establishing something that I denied. My calling's over with. There's no way that Jesus is going to use me in the way in which he said he was going to before he died. And on top of that, he's probably thinking that he's ruined his identity. He's ruined his identity. He's forever going to be known as that guy. Imagine. Imagine being known forever as that guy that denied Jesus. Oftentimes when Peter's names get brought up, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, that's that guy that denied Christ. What a terrible thing to be identified by. But I hope we can change your focus off of what Peter did, mistake-wise, to what he later did by the end of this message. It makes me wonder why we point out people's mistakes anyway. Is it quite possibly so we can take the spotlight off our own? But he thinks he's, he's ruined his identity. He's forever going to be known as that guy that denied Christ. For Peter, this seems like an unrecoverable screw-up. You can't come back from this. There's no way. Now I've got a feeling that a lot of people in this room tonight can relate. You've made some bad mistakes in the past or maybe even in the present. And you're thinking, I've ruined my relationship with Christ. On top of that, I've ruined the calling and the plans and the purpose that he's laid out for my life. And worse than that, it's ruined my identity because now I'm defined by this mistake that I've made. I'm defined by this choice that I've made. I'm forever going to be known as that guy or that girl that did that thing. And you're sitting here tonight in a place of ruin because of something that has taken place in your past. But as we get back into the story, now we see Peter and Jesus sitting face to face and they're having breakfast. And I I don't think I can adequately put into words the the tension that must have been there while this breakfast was taking place. Imagine how Peter must have been cutting his eyes back and forth with Jesus, trying to decide if he's going to address what happened, trying to decide if Jesus is going to have a conversation with him, wanting to make eye contact with him, but not wanting to make eye contact with him, to see what's going to happen. How will Jesus respond? Look in verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Can I say something just for a second? Anytime you see Jesus get around the combo of bread and fish, you can be assured that something cool is about to happen. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. What Peter thought was a ruined relationship is now about to move back into a restored relationship. I want you to take a look into the details of this. As Jesus begins the conversation, he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Now there's some speculation out there about what exactly Jesus meant when he used the word these. These. Some people think Jesus was making a reference to the rest of the disciples around him when he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these men that are around? But it's not for certain. I kind of want to take a little bit of a different route. And I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying for the sake of Peter and his personality, I think it might have went something to the effect of this, that when Peter got out on the bank and Jesus had cooked the fish for him, I think Peter was just like overly excited about how good the fish were. I think in the midst of the meal, Peter's sitting there and he's going, Oh my goodness, whoa, these fish, man. It's got to be the best fish I've ever ate. What do you guys think? Jesus, you cook this fish? This is amazing. What you put in that? Did you get some lemon? you put some zest on there? What kind of seasoning is that? This is the most amazing fish I've ever had in my life. So I don't know. Maybe Jesus asked him because he was trying to overcompensate for the mistakes that he had made. Peter, do you love me more than these fish? I mean, you seem pretty excited about breakfast and how good things seem to be. Do you love me more than these? Whatever the case may be, when Jesus asked, do you love me? That was to directly address the relationship that they have with each other. To ask someone that question, do you love me? Do you have an affection for me? Is to directly address the relationship that exists between you, which Peter probably thought was completely ruined at this point. Naturally, Peter's response was, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. Jesus responds back with, feed my lambs. Let me sidestep into something right here for a second. True love for Jesus doesn't just manifest itself in the form of verbal expression. It must also contain physical action. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do the work. The same is true in our lives, men and women. Your expression of love for Jesus can't just happen verbally. It has to take physical action in our lives. Nobody in here, if we're honest, wants to just simply be told that they're loved. You want to be shown also. Jesus doesn't just want us to tell him that we love him. He wants us to show him also that we love him. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Two more times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him for a total of three. Three times Peter denied any association with Jesus. Now Jesus gives Peter the opportunity three times to affirm his affection for him. There, there is no total number of mistakes that you can make that Jesus can't overcome in your life. As born-again believers, Jesus' work of redemption in our life is a one-and-done deal. But his work of restoration can take place multiple times throughout our lives. Why? Because we constantly fall short. Because we constantly fail, because we constantly have mistakes, because we constantly have slip-ups, because we constantly have mess-ups. Redemption is a one-and-done work in your life. When you come to Jesus, you fall down before Him, and you declare Him as Lord of your life, that is a one-and-done thing. You did nothing to gain it, you can do nothing to lose it. But that doesn't mean we don't need to be picked back up and put back in the right place from time to time. That's what's happening here. Jesus is restoring their relationship. And what's amazing is that Jesus had every right to be offended and not to have anything to do with Peter ever again. But that's not who He is. You never see the offended pursuing restoration. Never. I can't tell you one single person that I know that has been offended horrifically in a relationship with somebody that they came back around at some point in time and completely unwarranted said, you know what, I think I'm going to go back and try and restore that relationship with that person that offended me so horribly. That's why Jesus is so amazing. He's not like us. His love is far greater than ours. His grace is far greater than any we could extend. His mercy is far greater than anything we could extend. He, as the offended person, seeks to restore the relationship that Peter denied wanting to have any part of. That's amazing. And you may feel like you've ruined your relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I bet there are some people in here tonight you feel like you've ruined your relationship with Jesus because of a mistake, because of choices, because of something that you have done in your past, because of some failure you think, man, my relationship with Jesus has to be done. There is no way he could ever want anything to do with me ever again because of what I did. But I'm sitting here and telling you tonight, Jesus restores relationships. And he can restore yours. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Let's go back, go back to the story with me. Verse 18, the conversation continues, and we pick back up, and Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. What Peter thought was a ruined calling, is now about to become a restored calling. Everybody say restored. Peter thought his calling was absolutely ruined because of what he had done. But as the conversation continues, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. When Jesus says these words at any time in Scripture, I want you to know this, when He says these words at any point in time in Scripture, it's always within the frame of calling. Follow me is quite simply a call to surrender and submission to Jesus' Lordship. The interesting thing is is that Jesus had already said this to Peter once before. Back when he first called him to be one of his disciples. Jesus begins his ministry and it's early on He's walking through the town and he sees a group of guys working on their boat and Peter is one of those guys and he walks with them and he strikes up a conversation and he tells them, hey, you you guys, what do y'all do? We're fishermen for a little. Cool, I want you to leave all that, I want you to follow me and I'm going to show you how to be fishers of men. This is not the first time Peter had heard, follow me. Peter answered that call the first time he ever heard it in the affirmative by leaving his nets and his boat behind and following Jesus with everything that he had. Which later led to him being told by Jesus how instrumental he would be in establishing the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus establishes this calling upon Peter's life. Now he thinks that's all but ruined because of what he's done. But once again we see Jesus say to Peter, Follow me. Why? Why? Why say it to him a second time? Because there's restoration that needs to take place. He is restoring Peter back into what he had called him to. Essentially, he's saying to Peter, Peter, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for your life. And I know you messed up. But those mess-ups aren't going to cancel your calling. Those mess-ups aren't going to prevent your purpose. As a 10-year-old kid, I gave my life to Jesus. I heard that call when he brought it into my life to follow me, and I did that. But I didn't know what all that meant as a 10-year-old boy. And trust me, as life went on, I had my fair share of mistakes. I made my fair share of bad decisions and choices. I had my fair share of failures. I got off track so bad that I said, you know what? I'm going to claim you as Lord of my life but I'm going to live as if I am. And I got busy doing my own thing, pursuing my own dreams, pursuing my own goals, pursuing my own passions, pursuing my own ambitions. And let me tell you where that got me. At a dead end in the road, absolutely clueless of where I was supposed to turn next. And it was at that point when I realized my goals, my plans, my dreams, my ambitions didn't work out. And in the midst of reviewing all that, seeing what I had done to God in my relationship with Him, putting Him on the backside of all that, to me sitting down and saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now because there's no way God's going to use me for any plan or purpose of His after I have spent this much of my life doing my own thing. But that's when Jesus stepped back into my life. And He says, hey, I, I know you, you messed some stuff up. You made some bad choices. You thought it'd be good if you went and did your own thing for a little bit and it didn't work out. Let me ask you again. Follow me. I've still got a plan. I've still got a purpose. I've still got a calling. That's just for you. That needs to be fulfilled in a way in which nobody else can do it. When he spoke that back in my life, I made the decision then. I'm going to make that same mistake twice. Follow me? I think I will. You may feel like you've ruined your calling because of whatever you did, whatever choices you made, whatever failures you had, whatever mistakes you made. Just like Peter, you're sitting here thinking, I have ruined my call. There's no way God can use me now. There is no way after doing what I did, there's no way after getting into things that I got into that God can use me for His purposes and for His plans and for His kingdom now. But Jesus restores callings. One last area that Peter thought was ruined that also needs to be addressed. Go back into the conversation with me. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. So we've given the picture of Jesus and Peter walking along after breakfast and they're talking, having a private conversation with each other. And Peter turns around and he sees John following him. And look at what happens next. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord... What about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What Peter thought was a ruined identity has now become a restored identity. Everybody say restored. Man, you have to know that when Peter denied Jesus, it was devastating to him, but also his identity. As a person, he was forever going to be known as that guy, always having that reference attached to his name when people talked about him. And I know it had damaged him in this way because of what he says at this point in the conversation. You can tell Peter's identity has been damaged by the way in which he continues to engage Jesus in this conversation. Peter shouldn't have been worried about anybody else. As they're walking along, he turns back around, and he sees John following him. Let me ask you something. If you're walking side by side with Jesus, don't bother to turn around and look at anybody else. Peter's walking side by side with Jesus and he decides he's going to turn around and take his eyes off of Christ so he can look at some other brother. When Jesus is trying to speak a word of restoration into his life, he turns around and he sees John following him. He's like, Jesus, what what about this guy? Peter shouldn't have been worried about this guy. But when we feel like our identity has been damaged, by default, we start wanting to critique everyone else's. I love Jesus' response in verse 22. Go back and look at it again real quick. Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Jesus tells Peter, I don't need you worrying about everybody else and the calling that I have placed upon their lives. You follow me. You follow the calling that I have placed upon you. Let me can give you some encouragement tonight? And I don't want this to come across in a, in, a, in a rude or kind of a harsh kind of way, but most of us as followers of Christ need to learn if we would stop obsessing over others' identity, we could become established and content in our own. We're too busy worrying about what everybody else is doing for the cause of Christ or what they're not doing for the cause of Christ. And that's why we can't get established in our own identity because we're too busy obsessing over everybody else's. Why can't God use me like that? Why can't God bless me like that? Why can't God honor me like that? It doesn't matter. He's given you a new identity in Him. Stop obsessing over what everybody else is doing and what God's doing in everybody else's life. And become established and content in your own walk with him. This is the kind of attitude we would expect to find from somebody that's had a broken and ruined identity. It's exactly why it's in need of restoration. Jesus restores Peter's identity. Listen, Jesus loves Peter so much, he will not allow him to be defined by his denial. You know how I know that? Because when I think of Peter, my first thought doesn't go to his denial. When I think of Peter, my first thought goes to Pentecost. Well, we see a man who stands up before thousands and preaches the gospel as boldly as anybody has ever done it. And literally thousands came to know Christ that day. That's a new identity. Jesus loves Peter so much, he says, Peter, I'm not going to allow you to be defined by your denial. I need you to go on to Pentecost. And some of you sitting here tonight, you may feel like you have ruined your identity. That you are destined to be defined by your choices. That you are forever marked by your mistakes. But I'm telling you tonight, Jesus restores identities. (laughs) There's nobody like Christ. Nobody compares to Jesus. In one conversation, He takes a man who had denied knowing Him and restores His relationship with Him, restores His calling from Him, restores His identity in Him. Jesus, by trade, (laughs) was a carpenter. Well, isn't that just fitting? Because you know what carpenters have a proclivity for doing? taking things that have been ruined and restoring them. The only thing that hinders restoration from coming into your life is your refusal to let it in. The only thing that hinders restoration from coming into your life is your refusal to let it in. I think for some of us here tonight, Jesus is extending you an invitation to go grab breakfast sometime. To sit down and have a conversation, maybe about some bad choices you've had, some mistakes that you've made. But the purpose of that breakfast meeting is not going to be to condemn you, It's not going to be to forsake you. It's not going to be to abandon you because of the offense that you have caused him. It's going to be to restore you. All the ways in which you feel like things have been ruined. That's Jesus. That's the work that he does. He is about restoring his people. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, College and Young Adult Pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.